Connect. Influence. Optimize. You're listening to The Channel Channel, a podcast for executives and others involved in the authorized sale of electronic components. Brought to you by the ECIA, the Electronic Component Industry Association. Working to promote and improve the authorized distribution channel. Welcome to The Channel Channel. I'm Dale Ford, Chief Analyst at ECIA and responsible for ECIA Market Research and Statistics and host of this session of The Channel Channel, a podcast sponsored by the Electronic Components Industry Association covering topics that are important for participants in the electronic component supply chain. I'm very pleased to welcome Chad Motre, the Chief Economist for the National Association of Manufacturers, abbreviated NAM. Chad is well known for many of you, does not require an introduction, but I do want to provide a little bit of a background uh, on Chad as we, before we begin our discussion. He uh, serves as the NAM's economic forecaster and spokesperson on economic issues. And in addition, he's the director for the Center for Manufacturing Research at the Manufacturing Institute, the workforce development and education partner of the NAM where he leads the efforts to produce thought leadership, data, and analysis of relevance to the business leaders in the sector. Prior to NAM, um, to joining the NAM, Chad was the Chief Economist and Director of Economic Research for the Office of Advocacy at the U.S. Small Business Administration from 2002 to 2010. He holds a PhD in economics from Southern Illinois University at Carbondale and a bachelor's and master's degrees and economics from Eastern Illinois universities. And he's a certified business economist where he was part of the initial graduating class in 2015. So Chad, thanks so much for joining us again. It's always fun to be on your show, Dale. And uh, thanks for the introduction. Great, great. Well, let's jump right in. Kind of some open-ended questions for you to, to discuss for us, if you would. Looking at, there, there's a, a plethora of economic indicators and statistics out there, but which ones give you the greatest cause for optimism for the U.S. manufacturing center, a sector for the rest of this year and even into next year, and why? So, Dale, one of the words that I continue to overuse for those who read my Monday economic report um, uh, is the word resilient. Right, uh, and we just had a lot of challenges thrown at us over the last two years, right? Plus, probably, yeah. uh, and, and yet the manufacturing sector continues to just kind of plug along, right? Um, we've still seen, you know, when I go talk to manufacturers in the field, still demand continues to be relatively, you know, hanging in there, right? It's a little, maybe softer than it was a couple months ago, but still hanging in there. Um, employment growth has been strong. Uh, we had a record level of manufacturing construction activity recently. Uh, and you know, manufacturing production overall is 4.6% higher than it was when the pandemic began, right? So um, clearly there's there's some sense of optimism there, right? I think that when I what I hear a lot of times from manufacturers is that demand has not been the problem, it's been meeting that demand that's been the problem. And, I, and I'm sure we'll talk about the, the challenges in a second. So there's that, and I, and I think in general, you've seen this resilience in the economy, right? Um, uh, with consumer and business spending, right? Um, again, you've seen some cooling more recently, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but, but in, in, in general, um, you know, we're modest growth, right? Is what I expect for, for this year, right? And, and, and next year, um, 
well, I don't think a recession is inevitable. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second. Um, uh, uh, and so there are certainly some upward, uh, you know, upside risks to the overall outlook right now. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure, Dale, you will you will flip that around uh, in a second. But I think yeah. right now, uh, there, there's there's at least some sense that that you know resilience is still the word of the day. Good, good, yeah. And I, I like that same word. Uh, that's a good point. I've I've used that a number of times myself. But but as you mentioned, you know, looking at the flip side of this, um, with the headlines that we see in the news continually, obviously, you know we see where there's potential cause for concern about the, the manufacturing sector. I, um, you know, and there's no real consensus is what I read out there amongst economists about whether we'll enter a recession or not. I, I saw, but I did see one that said, if, if we do enter a recession, it will not be like the one we had in 2008. Noted that each recession, if you do have one, they, they have their own characteristics associated with them. So, you know, looking at concerns going forward, what's your perspective on that? And, you know, your thoughts on a, on, on a potential recession, as you mentioned? Well, anyone who's following the markets lately, uh, certainly when you get your 401k statement at the end of the month, right, you're going to see <laughs> that the markets are pretty worried about the Federal Reserve, right? Uh, and, uh, the, you know, the, the, the betting here is can the Fed navigate a soft landing, right? So uh, I guess, we'll, so that's, I'll make that statement and then, then I'll kind of backtrack and say, I think, you know, the Fed and, and policymakers in general will admit that they that they missed the window to start raising rates, right? That, that they're right. clearly behind the curve uh, and very aggressive rates, rate increases between now and the end of the year, I think to kind of make up for that. The challenge, uh, as you know, Dale, is, is that monetary policy is, takes a long time to work its way through the system, right? So uh, you're raising 50 basis points now or whatever other number might come down the line, you won't, won't see the full effect of that until next year, right? And, and so I think that, you know, uh, the, the, the biggest risk that's out there right now, obviously, at least perception-wise, is it, the Fed. Now, I think that the Fed is aware of this, right? And, 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 and at some point, if, if there's a sense that they're overdoing it, you would hope that they would take a pause, right? And say, okay, this is to stop, look around, survey the damage and, and, and decide whether, whether you, know, you should you know, slow it down or, or, or stop. But again, overshooting and undershooting, it's, it's, it's not a science, right? Because you, it takes a long time. These are very long lags. And so while I think that um, there's a lot of wiggle room in the forecast, right? Uh, the, the reality is that we don't know uh, uh, the, the full extent of, of what will happen when you start raising rates, uh, reducing the size of the Fed's balance sheet, uh, et cetera. And so, you know, we actually asked a question on our, our latest NAM Manufacturers Outlook survey. I think my original text was, do you think the Fed can, uh, uh, you know, keep a soft landing, right, or something like that. And, and, and I think I just changed yeah. it to, you think we'll have a recession? And, and more than half of our members think that we're going to have a recession in the next 12 months, right? And so I think the other big red flag that's out there is that everyone and their brother, and probably, you know, every one of your relatives already thinks we're having a recession next year, right? <laughs> so that, that starts playing into people's actions, right? Uh, so, you know, when I go out and I talk to manufacturers, they're building in a slowdown for next year, right? And so that I think in and of itself means probably slower 
employment growth probably means lower capital spending or you know at least expectations of slower sales right and so um, I think that that's the other kind of red flag is that um, not only is there this worry that the Fed can't navigate a soft landing, but it's almost getting built into people's expectations. Uh, and, and, and I'm not sure that that is totally legit, right? I mean, I think that there is a sense that, you know, a recession is not inevitable, but it can quickly become inevitable if everyone thinks it's happening. So. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting as you talk about that, as I've talked with the executives in the electronics industry and distributors, you know, I was surprised actually by how much optimism they expressed moving forward because I'd seen so many forecasts by analysts in the um, technology sector, you know, predicting that things would go off a cliff by the time we reached, uh, well, about now. And they haven't. And the, and the distribution executives saw things continuing in a, in a healthy manner, at least, maybe not the highest, the growth at the level we've had, but they saw things going on a, at least in a healthy path through mid 2023. And they don't see supply chain issues for electronics components being sorted out until that time frame either. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting that that's their perspective as well. Do you, do you see a good segment that say, hey, you know, for our sector, we think we're gonna do okay. So there is often this kind of juxtaposition between folks' pessimism about the larger global economy or recession or inflation or whatever the issue might be. And yet when you when you go out and you ask them, how is your company doing? You, 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 you get that, that resilient comment that I made early on. So there is sometimes this split between kind of the macro view versus that more micro story. And, and, and quite frankly, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised from the electronic components industry to say that there's optimism, you know, given the amount of technology that's necessary uh, and given the amount of technology investments that you see being placed, not just in manufacturing, but across the economy, um, given the supply chain issues that we've seen, right, I, and, and the pent-up demand that's there, um, there's going to be optimism. Right? Um, uh, so I'm not shocked to hear that your members are, are saying that. But there's also, you see a similar comment when, when we talk to just general manufacturers, right? Uh, in the latest Outlook survey, nearly 83% of our members are positive about their own company's outlook, right? So, so, so again, you have that bit of a split screen, right? 83% of our members are positive about their company's outlook, and yet you have a little, little bit more than half of them who think we're going to have a recession in the next year. So there is this kind of, people are, are kind of a little bit of nuance, I think, in the conversation, that, that uh, or maybe a little uncertainty in the conversation as people are kind of weighing oh, really what the future holds. Yeah, yeah. We I saw that actually in survey results that I published last week that we did with our members, asking them to rate individual markets. If you took the average of those ratings of individual markets, it wound up above 100, solidly above 100, which indicates expectations for growth. But we have one question where we just asked them for the overall market, their expectation, yeah. and that came below 100. So. Just right there, and I commented that in my write-up that you know it's interesting, like you're saying, companies looking at their own situation more optimistic than when they look at the overall situation. So that's an interesting dynamic. And you see a similar uh, storyline in, in the overall public too, right? So uh, what are you going to focus on? So we could focus on the labor market, right? Uh, the fact that you're seeing the best labor market we've had since the late 1960s, right? Where 
Yeah. Unemployment rate is 3.6%. You had the fastest job growth last year we've ever had, right? Yeah. Uh, manufacturing, we've, we were almost at pre-pandemic levels of manufacturing uh, growth, 5.5% uh, year-over-year growth in manufacturing wages for production work. And so you certainly have a positive story to tell there on the labor market. And yet when you go out and ask consumers, who would you think would like, like having higher wages, the, the focus is more negative, right? It's mostly about um, inflation and, and where gas prices are and, 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 and et cetera, right? So yeah. uh, again, so you do have a bit of a, of a split screen, I think, on, on the consumer side as well, right? Where you have really solid wage growth, albeit in real terms, probably negative. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 and then, and then uh, the inflation story uh, kind of dominating more than headlines. You know, you have a great position where you're able to look at the broad manufacturing sector in the U.S. And that gives you a, a perspective that's unique from those of us who are focused on one part of that manufacturing economy. From where you sit, how do you see the interdependence between the various manufacturing sectors? And, and particularly, you know, how much do they, do other manufacturing sectors influence the electronics, electronics component space? and vice versa. What's your perspective, I guess, translating that into what the ECIA members care about? So look at the chip shortage, right? And look at the ripple effect that, that has had across the manufacturing spectrum. And you get a sense of just how important technology is to manufacturing today, right? Uh, while autos gets all the headlines, the reality is Every manufacturer is using semiconductor chips, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, you, you kind of get an appreciation for just the extent of, extent of number one, the importance of technology, the interdependence on the, if you're thinking of electronic components, just the interdependence that your sector plays with just about every other sector in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I think you get a real sense of just how dynamic and, and inter interwoven the sectors really are, right? Again, I think autos gets all the, all the, all the headlines because, you know, there's no cars to be, <laughs> if you go to an auto dealer, there's no cars on the lot. No. Uh, and you've seen overall production fall pretty dramatically over the last year, largely because there hasn't been chips. But, but you, you talk to just an every, every, you know, your average everyday company, they also cannot find what they need. So I think that, that, that there is that, that dependence there that I think gives an appreciation of just how advanced manufacturing has become and how important the electronic components industry has become, right, um, to yeah. manufacturers at large. Yeah. I could continue on down that path. You know, it's, it's interesting. When I talk to a number of the executives, they feel that the greater diversity that in the markets that are served by electronics components is resulting in this resilience that you've talked about. It's kind of like a stock portfolio. The more diversified it is, the more immune it is, immune it is to the, uh, the, the strong ups and downs. So I think that you know, engaging with a larger sector in the economy has, has benefited our industry. Let me come to a, just a quick quote from a recent report that you published where you discussed worldwide manufacturing activity. We can't ignore that in the US we're part of this worldwide economy. And in that report, you noted that the JP Morgan Global Manufacturing PMI had inched up 
from 52.3 in April to 52.4 in May. However, it's largely trended lower over the past year, down from 56 in May 2021. You know, manufacturers continuing to grapple with supply chain, inflationary, and workforce challenges. And the most recent data reflected continued uncertainties following the Russian invasion of Ukraine, COVID-related shutdowns in China, et cetera. So you're, you're very much aware of these issues. So, and you, and you referenced the Fed's actions of responding now to the enduring levels of inflation that have now reached 8.6% overall. So coming back to the Fed, um, you know, as we look at investment in the manufacturing sector, what, what do you think that their actions on the interest rates are going to do to investments in, in the sector or in manufacturing overall? So I'll come back to that. Let's, let's just first I'll touch on the global economy since you since you brought it up. Um, the supply chain challenge has been very pervasive across the spectrum, right? I mean, it's not just the US that's facing it. And, and the reality is when I talk to manufacturers, supply chain has become a bit of a buzzword, right? Uh, when, you, when you ask them what's really happening behind the scenes, you get a sense of, you know, it's the, shut, it's the shutdown, the COVID-related shutdowns in China, right? It's the issues at the ports, right? Not just leaving China, which there's been a huge backlog coming, leaving China and coming this way. There's a real worry about a, a, a West Coast port strike coming up at the end of the month, right? There is lack of truck drivers. There's lack of workers in general, right? There is soaring commodity costs, soaring wages, et cetera. So, it's, it's, it, 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 so when you look at the manufacturer's outlook survey, the top four issues really in my mind are intertwined, right? Of supply chain, inflation, and workforce challenges, and freight and logistics costs. But the US is not alone there. And I think when you look around the world, those supply chain issues have hit home in almost all the markets that we, that we trade with. Um, uh, then you add to that uh, the Ukrainian situation. I don't know how the Ukrainian situation is going to end. No one does, but it's kind of a, I don't know what the end game is there. So that's going to continue to create an overhang over the economy or until that is, is resolved in some fashion. Uh, and then, you know, I don't see the zero COVID policy going away from China anytime soon either. So you're going to have these continuing uncertainties that are out there in the economy. And, and the result of that is we're going to have slower global growth this year, right? We, we, we've seen the World Bank, we've seen some other entities come out with slower, for, you know, forecasts for slower growth this year. Still positive, mind you, right? Um, going, going back to my recessionary comment, the forecasts are still positive, but slower, right? Um, yeah. So that, that obviously affects the Fed to a certain extent, right? I mean, we're doing, uh, the US is a bit of an island is the way I like to describe it, right? You know, even with all of our problems, right? You know, yeah. Biden came out with a speech a few weeks ago where he said, U.S. is going to grow; it's fast, growing faster than China, right? This year, right now, that, that was accurate in that particular moment. I, I don't know about the full year, but it speaks volumes to just how well the U.S. is doing relative to some of our other trading partners, and it also speaks to, you know, net exports. What's happening with net exports? You saw that have a huge drag on GDP in the first quarter. You're seeing it play out with a very strong dollar. You're seeing it play out with the fact that the U.S. Federal Reserve is going to raise rates much more aggressively than any of the other central banks, right? And again, that plays into the dollar. So uh, while the Federal Reserve's role is primarily to foster growth and, and keep the monetary you know, stability, price stability in the US, it has to also be aware of what's happening abroad as well, right? And, and uh, so all of this plays into it, right? Um, 
none of those things by themselves are enough to send us into a recession, right? But it's certainly enough to slow down the economic growth. And it's certainly a, one of the factors that the Fed has to, um, to weigh when it's, when it's making monetary policy. So that was a long way to answer your question, but. No. Yeah, and, and you know, there's, again, just coming back to conflicting areas, you know, we talk about the supply chain and, and you mission, mentioned the, the trucking situation, you know, and I, I've read the reports and, and been following the reports on that, but I had an interesting personal experience there where I live in Northern California, had to go down and pick up my daughter uh, from college in Southern California and bring her home. That meant I, I drove down and back on the on Interstate 5. And I commented to my wife, there are, it seems to me, more semis on the freeway than there are passenger cars. So it's not that the number of truckers, in my view, there have, have dropped. It's just that this surge that they can't keep up with it. I mean, any, any thoughts on what you've seen that way? So right now, certainly on the West Coast, um, it, it, while, the, while the ships get a lot of attention, the part, of the, part of the bottleneck is, is the ability to get enough of that out, right? So that's trucks, it's, it's, it's rail, et cetera, right? Uh, and so that, that has been a part of the bottleneck as well. There is, in general, across the country, a lack of truck drivers. You've seen that play itself out, much like there's a lack of, of manufacturing workers. But on the West Coast, you're, you're wise to point out that, that, that part of what we refer to as the porch crisis, right, yeah. is also a bottleneck related to how, you know, you, you got to get that off of the, off the boat and out, right, distribute it, and that, that, that's more of a trucker and train issue. Yeah. So given your background with small business, you know, maybe you can have uh, an appreciation for the concern about the risk of rising rates and the economy to the smaller manufacturers. You know, I look at the electronics industry and we're heavily dependent on this wide network of small manufacturers. And I know that just in general, small businesses have been a concern and there've been efforts made to, to prop them up as we've gone through the difficult times. What do you think the interest rates are going to do to these small manufacturers? How are they gonna weather this? It's one more problem that they didn't need. Uh, and so. <laughs> You know, I, I mentioned earlier that the Outlook survey that we, you know, we just released, 83% um, of our members are positive, right? Uh, but it's 10 percentage points lower for, for small, the smallest manufacturers, right? So they're actually below the historic average. Um, you know, so, you know, they're seeing costs, you know, wages soar, costs rise, freight costs have just been astronomical, right? You add to that uh, increased uncertainties that we've already mentioned earlier, and then higher interest rates, right? Uh, and so it's it puts a lot of strain on on these companies, and so it's not a shock that you, that, you know they have, you know, the, uh, you know they don't have the, the scope or scale sometimes to be able to be to absorb some of those costs, right? And so that that is that's a huge challenge, right? Um, you know, still seventy, you know, seventy three percent of our members that are small are positive, but that's that's it's notable that they're much that's a weaker number than you have for the the medium size of our larger firms. Yeah. Yeah. Shifting gears for a little bit on, on the immediate concerns, you know, as we go through each of these cycles and through each of these uh, periods, there are changes that take place in the economy and the markets and, and how business behaves. And certainly there are changes that are going to emerge out of uh, the experiences we're having right now. 
what what you know longer lasting changes and trends do you think we'll see in the U.S. manufacturing economy as we move through this year and beyond? And what do you think manufacturers and distributors should change in their operations to best position themselves for this evolving economy? I think the pandemic and the supply chain issues that we've experienced really over the last two years have really just accelerated trends that were already starting before that, right? So everyone was already saying that they were reevaluating their supply chain before the pandemic, and that's probably just everyone. It's, it's even further doubled down at this point, right? Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised on the supply chain side if you see a lot more reshoring or nearshoring as a result of especially the increased freight costs and just the bottlenecks that we've seen. And you're already seeing a lot of investments in some spaces, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if we see additional reshoring taking place. So that's the one trend. The second trend is, is, is to do with technology, um, which obviously you appreciate. <laughs> uh, and that is the companies are looking at automation and technology in ways that they weren't. Um, I mean, they were before, but they're even more so now, right? Uh, automation, I think there were more robots purchased last year than ever, right? Uh, uh, not just in manufacturing, but overall. Uh, and so they're looking at, at ways to incorporate new technologies into the process, right? A couple data points in the GDP figures that really give me optimism about the future. Again, it's not a manufacturing comment, it's more of, of a general economic comment. Right. So if you're looking at the GDP and you're looking for some bright spots, right? Under fixed investment, we had really strong equipment spending last year and continuing into the first quarter, as well as intellectual property investment. I think it was up 10% last year for equipment uh, uh, and I think 13% or something, 13.1 for intellectual property. So that tells me that companies are reinvesting in themselves in smart ways. They're buying new equipment, they're buying new software, they're buying, you know, doing R&D. Those are all components of those three things. And that should really pay dividends moving down the line in terms of helping their overall operations and improve productivity growth, et cetera. So those are all positives that I think are gonna benefit manufacturers, but I think overall the larger economy. And then the other big trend obviously that's out there um, is, is with more technology, you're gonna need more data and digitization skills, right? So we, we were actually, we're actually going at it and we're doing a number of interviews with manufacturers about what skills they might need over the next five or 10 years, uh, not shockingly, data and digitization come up, right? Yeah. Or all workers need to have data and digitization skills, right? They need to be able to look at data, be able to interpret it, and know how to fix things when, 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 when the data move in the wrong direction. So I think those are trends that are just underlying what we're seeing the overall macro data for manufacturers, but it's also if you're going to put your futurist hat on, um, that's, those are trends that I think you're going to see continue to develop over the coming years. Interesting. Going back for just a moment to, to this global issue and, and whatnot, there's another very interesting report that you put out recently about uh, import and export markets. You know, the healthier PMI numbers for five of the top 10 export markets for the manufacturing sector. And you noted the very strong growth, both in exports and imports <laughs> for manufactured goods. That, that was an interesting development in my mind. Uh, how do you interpret those statistics and what it means for manufacturing activity in the US? So we continue to see, well, number one, I'll, I'll say this, that the trade data have been heavily skewed over the last 
six months to a year, right? So you're, you're really wild, wide swings, right? Uh, largely because of the supply chain issues, because of higher priced energy uh, and, and just, you know, kind of the rebound post pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually had a, a recently a, this huge increase in the trade deficit. I mean, it, was a, it was the largest deficit ever by far, right? And then it was followed by, you know, in, 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 in May coming down, uh, uh, actually in April, excuse me, coming down by 30 billion <laughs> from, from the previous month, right? So it shows you the extent that you're seeing these wide swings in the data. But underlying all of this is, one, number one, to your comment about how you can get records for both exports and imports, these are nominal data, right? So that helps, yeah. right? So you're gonna, get, you know, not shocking, you keep getting higher numbers, higher, higher, higher. The other bigger trend though, that I think is playing into these data points uh, is that we're seeing much faster import growth than export growth. And, and that goes back to the, the notion I said earlier about us being an island, right? The yeah. US is, is faring better, even with all of our problems, than many of the, the markets that we sell into. When we Americans feel richer, we go out and buy more things, which means we import more things, right? So if you look at the first quarter data, for instance, we had this huge increase in imports, right? And then exports actually fell right in the first quarter because we were having trouble selling abroad, right? And so that alone, that net export component of GDP subtracted out 3.2 percentage points from GDP, wiping out all of the increase we would have had from consumer and business spending, right? We, we, we had negative 1.5% growth in GDP in the first quarter of this year. We would have had at least 3% growth if it was just consumer and business spending. Net exports wiped all that out. Right, and then you also had drags coming from inventory and from government, but, 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 but in general, it just speaks to just how we're kind of in this weird environment where where um, imports are certainly growing faster than exports. Um, obviously, if you see some better growth globally, you'll see that number improve a little bit. I think there are clearly, as I noted earlier, quite a bit of skewing in the data because of supply chain issues and, and where petroleum is. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's why we want the rest of the world to do well, right? Because that's where we sell our products. Uh, the strong dollar does not help that conversation either, right? So right. Uh, it will obviously make our ability to sell uh, exports that much more difficult. Yeah, great. Well, let's let's turn to one final topic that, that, that uh, is very important. The NAM is a major advocate for manufacturers and manufacturing issues with the government. And as I go through, there, there's a whole range of areas where there's involvement. Um, there were three that jumped out at me and, and maybe I could just mention these briefly and just ask for you to maybe give just a brief explanation about what some of these mean for those who don't follow <laughs> the, the government proposals and actions as closely as, as you, you probably do. Uh, and maybe what ECI members can do to support your efforts in promoting and strengthening the industry. I mean, one that jumped out was the, the NAM continuing to lead the charge um, on about harmful proposals, such as the WTO TRIPS waiver. Um, there's a letter sent uh, to the US Trade Ambassador about the WTO moratorium on customs duties, on electronics transmission, trans electronic transmissions. And then um, manufacturing's, manufacturers continue to advocate for the passage of China competition legislation. And there's some specific pieces of legislation there. Maybe briefly, you could just discuss yeah. those 
those areas of advocacy and what 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 did you know put it into layman's language i guess you could say and what ECIA members can do to support and, and strengthen those efforts. Thank you. Um, I mean, I think, let's go back to the beginning. The, the NAM was founded in 1895 on free trade and opening up new markets for manufactured goods. Um, and, and here we are in 2022, still doing the same thing, right? <laughs> uh, and so when you, when you think of the competes bill and you think of some of these other components, uh, certainly that gets to the reshoring comment that I made earlier, right, to be able, you know, we need to think about uh, manufacturing in a strategic way, right, in terms right. of what, what, what we're investing in and making sure we stay resilient as a sector, right, and not beholden, right, from a, from a more of a uh, national interest, right, to, to other, other parties for chips and other things. Um, so there's certainly the China Competes Act, I think, certainly plays into that. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that we did not pass the, you know, the TPP a few years ago. The NAM was a big advocate of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It would have been a nice lever that we would have had in terms of our competition with China. That didn't happen. As you know, we walked away from that. Uh, and the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework is certainly kind of a, an attempt to rebuild that, right, that kind of coalition so that we can continue to compete kind of outside of China. Uh, and kind of to be that lever, right, as we're thinking about uh, competition with China in general. Uh, as to what ECIA members sh should think of, I mean, just continue to, to use us. I think we need to hear your stories, right? Um, the trade team at the NAM is very active, right? They have a trade forum every Friday. I mean, no one else does that. Every Friday morning as a trade forum. Uh, and, and, you know, you get to hear from policymakers, but, I, but the, the, they also want to hear from you, right? They want to hear what issues are you having as it relates to customs or whatever? I mean, these, these issues matter, right? And so how can we be helpful, right? And how can we advocate on your behalf so you can continue to open up new markets uh, and make sure the competition is, is, is fair as, as possible, right? And so, I mean, that's kind of just a more of a general comment, but I think that that, that is, is one that, you know, if you, if you need to reach out to the trade team, you can, you can reach out to me and I'll, and I'll connect you to those folks because they do a great job. Excellent, great. Any final thoughts or comments before we wrap up today? Well, I guess the one that you, you didn't mention as much is the workforce side, right? And we, I can tell about it with the truckers, but workforce continues to be a dominant issue. You know, we have almost 1 million job openings in manufacturing right now. It's hard to believe that's yeah. about double what it was, you know, just a, a couple of years ago. Uh, and so, I'll, you know, every manufacturer is struggling to find talent, to retain talent. The competition for talent is intense, right? Um, and so I think manufacturers um, right now are in, in a very, it's, it's an interesting place for them when it comes to competition, right? You're seeing everyone raise wages, not just in manufacturing. And the, 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 the talent, the, the competition for talent is very real and intense for, for many manufacturers. Um, I released a paper from the Manufacturing Institute side. Um, couple of weeks ago on competition, right? And, and, and the, how tight the labor market is. So if anyone is interested in that, they can reach out to me or I can send it your way so you can pass it along. Great, great. Yeah, just uh, on that topic, uh, I'll give a little plug for, for a big effort that ECIA has made. We recently launched what we call the uh, PACE program, which is named after Paul Andrews. He recently passed away, the founder of TTI. Uh, but it's the Paul Andrews Continuing Education. And those are online courses that also provide certificates of completion that allow education 
a common educational base on the electronics, electronics components, and distribution industries that facilitate the growth and progression of professionals. And also, I think, opens up opportunities for other employees from a more diverse range of areas to participate in our industry. So we're very much believers in supporting those, the, those efforts. But um, well, thank you so much, Chad. I'm, I really am grateful for you taking time to visit with us today and uh, wish you all the best in your ongoing endeavors. Well, thank you, Dale. And I look forward to being on, on your podcast again soon. Thank you.